You are listening to Creation Talk. Our six-day creationist guilty of believing in hyper-evolution. That's going to be our topic on today's episode. My name is Keaton Halley, and I'm here dialoguing remotely with Jonathan Sarfati. Welcome, Jono. G'day, everyone. All right. Well, let's get into this challenge that has come up in a number of books written by critics of young earth creationism. And I've heard people actually ask you the same question in public at uh, different speaking events that we've been to in Q&A times and so forth. They claim that we believe in evolution supposedly more strongly than evolutionists do. Why do people make this charge against us? Well, they usually start by knocking, there's several different uh, fallacies they use. One is equivocation, which is bait and switch. They define evolution as, say, change in allele frequency over time, but then they bait and switch and say it means uh, particles to people, goo to you via the zoo. Now, yeah. you know, creationists believe in change of allele frequency over time. I think, I don't know anyone who doesn't believe that. Right. Of course, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is, but then they say, well, look at these evolution denied, but we're not denying allele change, uh, change in allele frequency. We're denying right, right. the whole big picture, which is the real thing under dispute. So that's the first thing they do. Yeah. But I, I think maybe what we want to get on the table first is, you know, why, why they would accuse us of supposedly believing in super rapid evolution. It's basically because, well, a few things that we believe. Number one, at the time of the fall, we say, you know, as Genesis 1.30 communicates that all the creatures were herbivorous, they were plant eaters prior to the fall, and then after death entered the world, then animals began to eat one another. Um, so they say that's an example of us believing in evolution. Or because we say that all the animals aboard the ark, Noah only took the land-dwelling, air-breathing vertebrates, basically, um, but he took a relatively few number of kinds of creatures, two of each kind of unclean animal, seven or 14 of the clean uh, animal kinds. But then those gave rise to all the diversity of land vertebrates that, that we have today. Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, look, there's like millions of species in the world. And so that's evolution after the flood that we say, you know, the cats on the ark, for example, gave rise to lions and tigers and leopards and cheetahs and so on. Was well, a terrible uh, dishonest bait and switch there because uh, yeah. we think uh, that the kinds on board the ark were the land vertebrate animals, uh, not marine creatures, not insects, yes. because they can all survive off the ark and um, on vegetation rafts and pumice and driftwoods, as Darwin himself proved they could, by the way. So it's only land vertebrates, okay, not uh, right. marine. So therefore, um, the millions of species, most of them are insects or marine creatures. So these yes, are things exactly. which are on board the ark. So we're not saying that land vertebrates evolved into insects. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're not comparing <laughs> or any of the sea creatures. Yeah. 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 Right. So it's a complete bait and switch. So in fact, uh, what we're doing is saying all the land vertebrates we observe today came from a relatively small number of ark animals, but the number is not exactly that huge. It's not thousands of millions. Yeah. It's maybe thousands of thousands. And in fact, the founder of the Royal Society, Bishop Wilkins, who also founded the metric system, which America hasn't caught up with yet, <laughs> he was the first to realize that he's talking about in the 17th century, he realized that a few arc animals had the capacity to vary into different varieties. So this is before Darwin. Mm. It's not an evolutionary concept. This is pre-Darwinian stuff. Yeah, Pre-Darwinian yeah. creation that's understood variation within the kinds. And they believe that was taught by the biblical account. Yeah. So we're not new in, in what we're claiming here. 
Um, and yeah, I agree with you, you. We see in some of the explicit writings on this, you know, some of the people who make this argument are William Lane Craig, Dr. Hugh Ross of Reasons to Believe. In several of his books, he, he actually has a chapter in one of his books called Young Earth Darwinism, where he's, he calls us hyper-evolutionists. And in several places, he's made this claim that we apparently believe trilobites were on the ark, for example. And then from those species, they gave rise to all the the species, the millions of species allegedly that exist today. Which means that Hugh Ross doesn't know what a trilobite is, which is a marine invertebrate creature. Uh, so yeah. does he even know what it is? I don't think so. The problem is Cray parrots Hugh Ross, and Hugh Ross parrots a lot of atheistic evolutionary critics like Ian Plymer, for instance. I agree with you that I think this charge is just extremely misguided. It, it shows like a, a lack of understanding of one of the most basic points that we make in regard to this evolution controversy that we need to distinguish between types of change like you mentioned allele frequency earlier but i mean there's all sorts of changes that we do agree with as creationists like natural selection mutations um even speciation is possible within our model because we're not talking about natural processes that like write brand new genetic instructions that are, you know, coding for complex specified machinery. We're just talking about the instructions that God, say, put into the cat kind to begin with. Mm. There was lots of potential for diversification if, you know, a segment of the population lost certain genes or certain encoded information in their DNA as they migrated, you know, to different parts of the world after the Noah's flood. So the potential was there all along to have this diversification. It's not as though natural processes were building up their genomes over time. That That's the distinction between the, the one type of change and another. Well, I mean, nothing like this is, is going to create a new wing or new eyes or something totally new. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just sorting out information that already exists. And we often point this out in our talks about how you have, if you have a, a, gen, a genetically diverse pair then they can have lots of varieties in one offspring we talk about the different human uh, two-tone twins when the parents yeah. are both biracial as i think adam and Eve would have been the equivalent of multiracial god would have programmed lots of genetic diversity heterozygosity if you want the fancy term for it and from that lots of varieties could happen quickly so what do you need to do to keep them as separate varieties you have to isolate them like we do with breeding of dogs right you want to breed dogs mm. you you have a mm. wild type but then you want to select what you want and keep it from breeding with anything else i mean purebred owners are very finicky they don't want that dog breeding with any old mutts right, right. Actually, if they yeah. want the, if and, they and care about the old health they would actually want them to breed because it's because purebreds are unhealthy <laughs> but the sure. thing is so they yeah. want the unhealthy purebreds they want to keep them separate from anything else okay yeah i sometimes say purebred is a good synonym for inbred Basically. Well, exactly so, what it is. You have inbreeding <laughs> depression because you have a loss of the genetic diversity, but also concentration yeah. of, of mutations is the other issue for that. Yeah. But uh, then think about the flood. Well, you got these small populations coming from the ark. They're, they're small population. Probably God had selected the ones with the most heterozygosity, most genetic diversity. Then he got these small populations becoming automatically separated by the mountainous regions are an automatic geographic barriers so it's well known uh, that mountains are good for creating new varieties and species quite quick this is very well known even yeah. evolutionists understand this yeah so what you're saying here is that the flood itself there are the 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 aftermath of the flood as animals come off 
the arc and begin to spread around the world, this would just be an ideal situation for rapid speciation. And again, it's not the animals had a lot of potential to diversify to begin with. It could be like a one-time change as well, because once all that diversity is sorted out and separated into different lineages, this is not necessarily going to continue to happen today. You know, so I know like Hugh Ross and some of his writings say, oh, if this, if this young earth view of hyper-Darwinism were true, we should see animals continuing to diversify today in the same way. Well, I think to some extent we do, actually see evidence for rapid speciation today. Does happen. But if, yeah. in, if in kinds like, say, you know, we know that in our view, this would have had to have taken place pretty quickly because in scripture, you've got, by the time of Abraham, you've already got camels, you know, which would be related to llamas and alpacas and so forth came from one yeah, yeah. pair of animals on board the ark. They've already diversified by Abraham's time. And maybe, you know, Camels aren't continuing to diversify dramatically today, but that's because of this. The way they diversified is not through Darwinian processes. It's by just taking the inf initial information and sorting it out into, into separate groups. I mean, sheep and goats are the other thing. I mean, farmers like to keep yeah. sheep and goats separate because otherwise they will they will still interbreed to form keeps, right? And that's another good point too. I think the fact that these a lot of these species can actually hybridize with one another shows you what the original biblical kinds were and shows you that it, there's not been eons of evolutionary time you know separating them they're still able in many cases to produce offspring yeah otherwise mutations would have made them genetically incompatible uh, over right. the alleged millions of years but it's only a thousands of year or hundreds of years we could never breed a wolf from a poodle or from a chihuahua, okay, but we can we right. certainly know that they came from wolf-like creatures. That's almost not, no one doubts that. What's the problem supposed to be exactly? Is it that we're somehow going against scripture? Does scripture deny animals can change at all? Well, not I think, yeah, no, breeding is a well-established feature of scripture, isn't it? They, they can, yeah. they, breeding has been well-known, which is artificial selection. That's been known for a long time, long before Darwin. In fact, Darwin basically went to artificial selection and made an analogy to natural selection. So it's a concession mm, yes. that we already understood artificial selection to be a, re a reality. Yeah. The fixity of species view was held by some of Darwin's opponents in his day, but these were actually... Um, old earth folks, not, you know, biblical creationists who took Genesis at face value. Well, when you think of Charles Lyell was the founder of uniformitarian geology, he was a lawyer more than a geologist, but he also was Darwin's mentor. He believed um, in fixity of species and centers mm -hmm. of creation. So he believed that God created a species in this particular region which later became extinct. And Darwin's uh, origin of species was basically directed to Lyellian theories. So he would actually make yeah. his notebook. Well, here's some points for me. Here are points for Lyell. Mm. But biblical creationists are not vulnerable to his objections. Okay, yeah, because we don't believe in fixed centers of creation. We say that the at least the land vertebrates that we have today migrated to the areas where we find them now from the Middle East, from leaving Noah's Ark. Well, but think of the Galapagos Jar Darwin said, why are they similar but not quite the same as those on the South American mainland? It doesn't mm -hmm. fit the Lyellian fixity of species and center of creation model, but it perfectly explains yeah. a migration path through South America to the Galapagos. Yeah, exactly. So we, we would side with Darwin on that point, but that yeah. doesn't make us Darwinists. <laughs> well, yeah, because Darwin was attacking an unbiblical model. And by the way, Hugh Ross basically holds fixity of species. 
And that's the other point too. You know, on the one hand, this diversity that we believe in doesn't contradict the Bible and it doesn't contradict science either. You know, I think we're still learning to a large extent about exactly what mechanisms could cause, you know, say the cats on the ark to diversify into lions and mm -hmm. tigers and cheetahs and so on. But, you know, you could sort of see in principle, at least that's, it, there's nothing in science that we know now that would contradict that kind of a scenario. And it, it doesn't seem unreasonable, unlike the Darwinian view of change, which would say that microbes can turn into mankind over millions of years. Maybe a good analogy for this, Jono, would, that I thought about ahead of time would be a ball that has the potential to fall down the stairs. We point out that if God designed the world, the laws of physics in such a way that that's possible, a, a ball can f fall down the stairs quite rapidly. But imagine there are people that are claiming the ball can fall all the way up a whole flight of stairs as long as the changes are slow and gradual, you know, one little step at a time. <laughs> and then we get accused of being like, you know, believing in more stair movement uh, than yeah. those. Well, yeah, we think it can fall down the stairs quick. Yeah. Uh, just because we see those types of changes doesn't mean we believe that it can go all the way up the stairs by natural processes alone. And that sort of leads to the issue that there are many more ways of breaking something than making something. You can yeah. break something quite quickly. There's so many different ways of doing it, but to try to make that structure, a lot of different ways a creature could become blind and maybe in a yeah. dark cave that would be selected for, or at least not selected against because there's no vision for anyone anyway, but trying to explain the origin of sight is quite a different matter. Exactly. Or I think of the, you know, another observation Darwin made was about the insects on windy islands that he noticed don't have wings, like the whole population is wingless, but he noticed they were very similar to other beetles on the mainland that did have wings. Yep. And again, I think he was right to say that the wingless versions came from insects on the mainland that flew there and then somehow lost those wings. So yeah, we believe in lots of processes that you can break wings. That's easy and even rapid. And advantageous, that's what I think Darwin was saying, as we would say, because they can't fly up and get blown into the sea. So it might be yeah. advantageous not to have a wing, but it's still downhill. It's still breaking something. Yeah. I mean, the ark could actually fit, if, even if all the land vertebrate genera were on the ark if you needed to, which mm. means it's even yeah. less of a problem with, with this so-called hyper-evolution if you start with genera. Yeah. Do you have a good idea of what the numbers might actually be? Like how many kinds on the ark and gave rise to how many species living today um they you know say it's millions but that even that is likely an exaggeration that's right it, as again, far as the land vertebrates yeah you know? no it's definitely not millions of land vertebrates i think it's sort of in the uh, tens of thousands at the most yes. i mean you know look the classic book genesis flood right to, which is older than you and i are i think that actually they show they could actually put every species on. you don't think you need to do it but you could actually do it yeah. so they, they calculated yeah. the number of um, mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, yeah, and Mara said you could put them on, but I think you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. And if it's at the family level, roughly speaking, you know, the biblical kind corresponds roughly to a family, then it would just be like 2,000 animals on yeah. board the ark is all. That's all. And could those give rise to, you know, 10,000 or a couple tens of thousands of, of species today? I think that's not at all implausible. Well, given we talk about by highly digitiverse art kinds and the rapid yeah. um, allopatric speciation from the mountainous regions. Yeah. It's very well yep. known. Yeah. So cr crunching the numbers themselves, even, you know, it's a, it's a perfectly plausible scenario that, that we're proposing. So, all right. Well, I think that pretty much takes care of the issue. But of course, we've written a lot. We'll post some links in the show notes below to other articles and hope to see you again next time. Mm -hmm.